Hi all, welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed your summer. I took a bit of a break from the podcast, had a show down in Florida and another uh, group show. I was here uh, in here in Athens at the Linden House, battled an encounter with maybe a brown recluse spider while cleaning out my garage that led to all kinds of, let's just call it slowness that I really didn't want this summer. But now it's back to the grind down here. All my pals up north are always shocked at how early we get back to school. Uh, all the hashtag first day of school photos of the kids and their new backpacks are circulating on social media, and the colleges and universities are going to be starting back up soon. The beginning of August is not my favorite time here in Athens, Georgia, home of the University of Georgia. Us locals have to give up our no lines in restaurants and easy parking to the hordes of arriving students with their U-Hauls, who have never driven trucks before and are constantly running into the low-clearance railroad bridges around town. Our wireless went out. Yeah, it was an emergency. And the repair dude said, the lines looked like they had been knocked down, probably by one of those U-Hauls. Apparently, this is a significant cause of wireless outages this time of year in Athens. Jeez. But the plus side is that Athens is humming with activity of all sorts. There's some great art shows up right now. Katie Giha over at the Lamar Dodd School of Art is killing it with her curatorial game as Jamie Bull, Melissa Brown, Adam Seip, and Brittany Laubach all have shows up. Justin Adian and Samuel Stabler are up at Howard's and Margot Rosenbaum is up at Tiff Siegfried's. So it was a great time for today's guest to make a trip to the Classic City. Rachel Reese is the Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Telfair Museums in Savannah. She previously worked as Communications Director at the Contemporary and as Editor of Burn Away in Atlanta. She has an MFA from City College in New York and worked at some big galleries there and in Philadelphia. We'll talk about all of those experiences in this episode. Lucky for us, she was in town making a series of visits to art venues and artist studios She contacted me to set up a studio visit, and I invited her over to my home as well to sit down for a podcast chat. This was the first episode I've ever recorded at my home, and while I've got super low ceilings, which are great for acoustics, and was able to clear the house of both of my kids, you're still going to hear Hank. That's my blue healer, Australian Shepherd Mix, and he's going to be making some background noise in this episode. I did buy him a bone to try and occupy him so he wouldn't pester Rachel to death because he loves to pester new people, but that may have backfired as you can hear him crunching around. It's not too bad, but just a heads up so you know what that sound is. All right, here it is, me and Rachel Reese having a chat sitting down in my dining room. Check it out. He won't go outside either. He's not an outside dog. Yeah, he like, likes to be he, near you. If I'm not outside, he yeah, he's outside. like, why are you? He has no My interest. dog's the same. Yeah, he'll lay in the sun for a minute, and he's like, we're we're done. All right. So where to start? Where to start? So you're from Atlanta originally. Is that true? Or are you from Georgia originally? Yeah, from Georgia and Atlanta. Um, broadly, I grew up in Roswell. Okay. So that's a suburb, right? a very hip suburb now. It was not cool when I lived there, but um, yeah, went um, to Roswell High School, kind of grew up coming into the city, 
as a child, mm-hmm. you know, da- coming downtown was a thing, going to the Braves game or something like that. But um, my family goes back um, generations in Atlanta. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Roswell and then came here to Athens, UGA, for my undergrad degree. And so, what did you major in undergrad? Painting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you were here. Um, who all did you have as painting professors? I was here... 2001 to 2004, I had um, Jim Barsness, uh, Diane. What was her last name? She's still here. Oh, I don't. I didn't. You don't know. I went to. I went to UGA undergrad, but I did photography, and it was way before any of their current faculty. Okay, Scott Belleville, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, his wife before she passed away, Judy. Um, was teaching figure drawing and figure painting. Um, Margaret Morrison, who okay. I believe is still on faculty here, I had some figure painting with her. And Stephen Thompson. Did you know Stephen Thompson? No. I was thinking about him. Yesterday was kind of a, a fun, weird day for me. I just, I didn't have anything planned. I drove up here and I got here at like four o'clock and I had until six o'clock to check into my Airbnb and I was like, I'm just gonna drive around and sort of unlock all of those places that I remember, but I don't remember how those roads intersected right. or where was that place that I lived? What right. does it look like now? <laughs> so I just spent a few hours like driving around the city and all of these sort of fun, but also weird memories were coming back. And I was just thinking about all of those people and I was like, where? I know where Steven Thompson is now, he's in New York, but um, yeah. It was an interesting time to be here. There's a lot that's still the same mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot that's that seems kind of different. Yeah, I graduated before that undergrad here, and then I was at Pratt during okay. the time that you were here mm-hmm. undergrad, um, and I lived in New York for about a decade. And you went, so you, did you go straight from undergrad to grad school, or did you no, take a I, break? No, I did. I went um, <clears throat> straight to, well... Stayed a little bit after graduation, so I finished my undergrad in three and a half years. Wow. And I wanted, I wanted to be done. I think it's just, it's a, it sort of tells you who I, who I am. I'm like, I set some goal and I want to finish it earlier than that goal. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, so I stayed for an additional, I don't know, half a year to a year um, running a gallery at downtown. Um, called Uptown Gallery. In Athens? In Athens. Wait, what year was that? I, that I must was have totally in, missed that. That was in 2005, and that was with my now ex-husband. We met here at UGA, Trevor, and um, um, Ty, Ty Litton, um, he and his wife, Motoko, they live in Atlanta now, but um, we sort of did that as a, a little artist-run space just for a, a year okay. in downtown, and it was on... Oh, gosh. It was across from Toppers. Okay. <laughs> what street is that? <laughs> right. That's Jackson, I think. Jackson. So that's where the Howard's and Tiff Sigfrid's is now. Yeah. Yeah. kind of funny. So I was talking with Ridley about sort of the, the legacy of artist-run spaces in the city. but So stayed for a little bit to do that. And then in 2005, moved to New York and worked in the city for two years before I went to grad school. So... Uh, I wanted to become a New York resident. I wanted to get sort of in-state tuition. Right. And I just, I really didn't go up thinking I wanted to go to grad school yet. And mm-hmm. so I worked at galleries. Actually, I started with some weird jobs, but I worked at galleries and then started in 2007 at City College, which is in Harlem. 
So I saw that you worked at uh, Deitch Projects, Petzl, mm-hmm. like some really uh, yeah. big name galleries. Is that before you went to grad school? Um, that was while I was in grad school and after I graduated. So I was... Um, while you were in grad school. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was working part-time at... Um, well, my first position was at Andrea Rosen. I started as an intern, and then I stayed to be sort of an... Uh, to work in their archive. Was that in the uh, 508, 526, West 26? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I used to work there when I was in grad school okay. in that building. Yeah. That's crazy. So that... Well... That was their new space, right? Right. Renovated. So I started the summer that they were in this weird transitional small space up on the ninth floor of a big building. Yeah. And then um, moved into the big new space. So that sort of like got my foot in the door um, in Chelsea Galleries and working at Petzl mostly part-time as a bookkeeper. Uh, So doing the finances, um, part-time while I was in grad school, and then I worked for Andrew Krebs. They were on the same street. Mm-hmm. Uh, added another few days there, and then when I graduated, looking for a full-time position is when I got the position at Deitch Projects. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, don't tell me anything nasty about them, because I love that gallery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really, thinking about it, and people ask me that, you know, how weird was he? He was, he was a strange man. Right. Admittedly, very strange man. <laughs> But I don't have anything negative to say about the way he did his business. You know, okay. I was his financial director. Uh-huh. I found myself, it's funny now, like this is how New York works and how the art world works. It's like the Wild West, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's kind of the Wild you West. You can make it's up the weird. rules as you go. Um, there's no regulations in terms of mm-hmm. how the market is controlled. Um, so I found myself at age 27 in charge of a $25 million enterprise. Oh, my God. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I had experience doing financial work a little bit just experientially, but, um, yeah, you know, he ran his gallery really well. He paid his artists. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very responsible. He had responsible methods of managing his finances and he was, he honestly did the best job. He had the biggest operation that I was a part of and he did the best job of ethically working with his, um, roster of artists so in that regard I think he was fantastic because you know I hear all the horror stories I worked at a gallery in Chelsea that Gary Detencian it's not there anymore but Mm -hmm. it's uh, he's in Moscow now and he showed mostly uh, Eastern European artists Mm -hmm. and um, and then I also uh, worked at Staley Wise which is a photo gallery in Soho that's been there since the 80s okay and that was pretty interesting yeah but you know (laughs) I've got like this is a safe space yeah (laughs) yeah the, yeah, the, that was owned by two ladies, um, Ethleen and Taki, and they were very interesting. They mm-hmm. were, like, really great businesswomen. Obviously, they've been running a gallery since the 80s mm-hmm. that was still in business, so they were really interesting. Um, and then the other guy that I worked work for, man, he was just super hard to work for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could tell you crazy stories. Yeah. I intersperse them, like, sometimes throughout the podcast, yeah. <laughs> all the crazy stuff that I did when I was in grad school. I to get this off my chest. Yeah, it was crazy. But... You know, when I was a gallery assistant and you go to those, you know, the whole gallery girls things, you have to go to those parties and like Mm -hmm. meet all the other gallery assistants Mm -hmm. and all of the strange social life that goes along Mm -hmm. with the selling of artwork. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is an entire culture in and of itself. Luckily, I was not a sales director. You know, I managed the finances and some, uh, you know, production budgets kind of thing. So I was keeping track of projects, big projects and and artists that had big production budgets. But um, 
very interesting to be a witness to that scene, you know, for better or worse. I mean, I knew some people that went down really dark holes yeah. at galleries. Right. Um, but I also have really fantastic people that I still know today that are just very genuine people. So, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, there's so many people employed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think I got that job off of Craigslist or something. It was, it was yeah. like, I was in grad school it was pre-internet days, mm-hmm. so you just had to find the jobs however you found them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were at City College. Did you do painting? Sculpture. Sculpt- so you switched. I switched. From painting to sculpture. So how yeah. did you get into painting in the first place? Like, have you always been... Do you still do art? No. Okay. No, no, no. I did not make art as soon as I graduated. <laughs> um, I think for me, going the studio art route instead of going art history or arts administration was that I really wanted to talk about art and I was really you know this is me in retrospect thinking about it you know leaving high school you don't really know what you want to do right Right. but I was always been told you're artistic you know Mm -hmm. you're artistically inclined you should you should think about the arts and um and I you know I loved making art in high school so, of course, you know, I go into a painting program, and I think for me it was always, well, why am I making this thing right now? You know, why am I, Why is it this painting? Why is it not this, right? And mm-hmm. I became really interested in just the idea of um, studio practice, talking with other artists about, well, why are you making that thing? <laughs> like, why does it look like that when mm-hmm. you know how to paint like this that I've seen you? Um, so I really became interested in just talking with artists and then, in, and then you know, presenting work, you know, having a little space in Athens. I think I was already thinking about talking about art with people. And then, uh, so going into sculpture in graduate school, I think I immediately was like, well, I'm not a painter. I'm not, and some of it too was knowing the art world a little bit in New York. I was like, I am not going to make it as a painter. Like, I don't actually care enough to make paintings. (laughs) Like, I'm not that invested, honestly. But I'm really interested in material culture and objects and, and again, continuing like studio critique and conversation. So I wanted to be in a studio practice. Um, So I went into sculpture and in grad school I was making these sort of funny installations, uh, spaces. I turned my entire studio into uh, an installation space with walls and a ceiling. And it um, was kind of doing work around memory and time. And, um, you know, and I had a thesis show and I, you know, made objects and stuff. But um, again, in grad school, I was curating shows with students in the student gallery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then immediately after I graduated, I started a publication of artist writings and was working at galleries. So, Um, I think for me, it was a way to connect with artists and meet them where they're at in their studio space and to have conversations to lead critiques in school. And I think for me now, thinking about it, I'm really glad I went that path because as a contemporary curator, being able to talk with artists in their studio space is really rare. Sometimes when you kind of think about a path coming out of an art history program, right? right? When they're still very disconnected from the studio practice programs at that school. Um, so, yeah. And I think it also has made me work for it a little more mm. um, in terms of uh, the museum field. Right. You know, thinking about um, curatorial practice and academic curatorial practice. You know, you have a lot of curators with um, MAs in, in curatorial studies or in art history 
and um, you know, here I have an MFA in sculpture, mm-hmm. and so it's sort of defining what um, what I bring to the table as a curator is a little bit different than somebody who sort of identifies as an art historian. I don't identify as an art historian. Yeah, I'm sure it's quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. Those art historians are a whole different breed. <laughs> they, they are a different breed, <laughs> for better or worse, you know. But especially working with contemporary living artists, it's um, you know, I think I have the upper hand. Yeah. Hmm. I was talking to um, Meredith, who does the uh, who, who knows Katie Hargrave. She I interviewed her for the podcast mm-hmm. along with Katie, and she runs the FSU gallery. Okay, and she's also was talking to me about the same thing. Like mm-hmm. she's she's studio artist, mm-hmm. um, and how that's really helped her with curating. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get too far into your career, I, I wanted to ask you about, so was your family supportive of you going into the arts? Yeah. Like, how did they... I, I find, like, in yeah. the South, this is something that's super interesting to yes. me because I find that more women tend to go into the arts. Mm-hmm. My personal theory is that people are like, well, you're not going to have to support your family, mm-hmm. so do what you want. Right. You know? Um, it was not necessarily that reaction from my family. I definitely got... I would say a lot more pushback from my dad in terms of how are you going to, for lack of a better word, monetize your degree? Mm-hmm. How are you going to turn this into a career? And so I'm one of three children. My brother is an engineer right? and my sister is a veterinarian mm-hmm. and I'm an art curator. So I am, and my dad's an engineer. And I'm where like, are you on the, are you the, <laughs> I'm the middle, middle child? Okay. <laughs> I'm the anomaly Okay, that, um, you know, there are so many people in my family that are engineers or my mom worked as a nurse. <clears throat> so thinking about, you know, I was always sort of seen as um, the artsy one. Mm-hmm. and uh, But at the same time, there was still a lot of, I think, uh, realistic pressure on, you know, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to turn this into a profession? Um, and it's funny, I still have these conversations with my parents. Today, you know, my mom will say, um, you know, what do you... Um, what do you have on view with the gallery? And I'm like, well, it's a museum. <laughs> there are lots of galleries in the museum. Um, you know, I mean, they're very curious, I think, about it. They ultimately don't really know the scope of what I do. Right. The entire, I was going like, to say, like, you have a pretty legit job now. Like, there's <laughs> they're still kind of feeling yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah, my family has um, no... My husband doesn't know the difference yeah, between I mean, a museum. You know, <laughs> my mom will send me artists that she comes across, or she'll still send me a print or something she finds at an antique store and she'll say you know do you want this for the museum (laughs) stuff like that you know it's it's earnest Mm -hmm. but um I gotta show you I've got some pieces in my laundry room that my mom found at a thrift store and they're like weird tin paintings Mm -hmm. and she was like I thought you would really like these I'm like (laughs) okay some of it I'm like maybe I've allowed that to happen you know I've I've entertained them but I've never really and I've tried I've tried admittedly but I've never really gone into the full sort of um conversation so that they understand have they ever come to see you at work oh they've come and they walk through the museum you know anytime I I work somewhere they're very interested and Mm -hmm. um I I think ultimately they don't want to know that too much okay because maybe they aren't that interested, you right. know, they like art, mm-hmm. but it, that sort of stops there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm working on this major catalog right now. It's a 200-page catalog with a retrospective of an artist, Suzanne Jackson. I've been working on it for years, and, you know, I'm the editor and essayist, and um, 
I know my dad keeps saying like, oh, that's right. You're working on a little book project. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yep. A little book project. It's a book project. Yeah. Years in the making. It's it's like a retrospective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, and it's okay. I'm like, they don't have to understand. Um, But, you know, ultimately they were supportive. I mean, uh, you know, I sent myself to grad school, but, um, you know, they were supportive in uh, helping me to go to undergrad. Mm-hmm. How long were you in New York? Lived in New York for um, seven years and then continued, moved to Philadelphia and then continued to commute back to New York um, for an additional year mm-hmm. working part time at Deitch Projects to close all the financial aspects and accounts of the gallery down because, um, you know, if you remember, the only reason my job ended at Deitch Projects was that he went to go become the director at LA Mocha. Right. And we, I, I s- still remember this awkward moment. We all showed up at work <clears throat> at the gallery and uh, we had all seen it on Art News right. that morning. <laughs> None of us knew, had any conversations with him beforehand, right? Right. So we all show up a little fuming mm-hmm. and a little confused and wanting answers. And we sort of like, we're like, we're going to have a meeting about this right now. We need to know. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, 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 it's true, it's true. And we're like, well, um, were you going to let us know that all of our jobs were ending in like three months? Um, so for the majority of staff, their job did end with very little notice. But because I was the financial director and he was open for 15 years, um, I had to stay. And, you know, fortunately was able to stay and, you know, move, take a job in Philly. But... Um, it took a long time to sort of close out some of those long accounts that were left open. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing in Philly while you were there? I worked at Fleischer Ullman Gallery. Okay. Um, and that was in Center City. <clears throat> it's still in Center City, not in the same location, but um, was kind of curious. I was married at the time. We were curious about um, leaving New York anyways. I think we had hit that point where we were in New York for six, seven years, and we mm-hmm. said, okay, well, if we stay we're going to be here a decade. And you know what happens when you stay somewhere for a decade is you don't want to go anywhere mm-hmm. else. So I think we were a little nervous about getting too comfortable in New York because ultimately I didn't want to live in New York forever. Right. And um, sort of wanted to have our time there and then move away. And Philly was close, you know, could still take the bus back and forth. We knew some people there and we had visited and it was interesting for us, a smaller community. Um, so that really appealed to us, and we um, we moved there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how long were you there for? Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New York is a... We, we had that same situation where we were approaching... I lived there for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. Very, like teetering. Right at the cusp. On, <laughs> on the decade. And then my husband lost his job when I was on maternity leave with our second kid. Oh, wow. And we're both Southerners. Yeah. So we were like, if we're going to make a break. Mm -hmm. This is the time. This is the time. So that's what happened. But yeah, yeah, it's funny how many ex-New Yorkers are hanging around Athens. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in Savannah. I mean, there's a lot of them in the South. Um, I think what was the biggest shock for me was, so from Philly, uh, my son was born in Philadelphia. We moved back to Atlanta to be near family, and um, thinking that, I don't know if this was your experience, but thinking that our job, uh, our professional history would translate right uh, <laughs> easily, 
in not only in Atlanta, but in, and in any other city. So, you know, I have this resume where I was doing, you know, major things, working for major places. Not everybody recognizes and that. No one in Atlanta. I mean, there was a very few, uh, a small group of people that, that understood and, and were excited, like, oh, you know, I'm glad you're here. But I was interviewing for jobs for eight, six months mm-hmm. and, you know, major, major contemporary places that would say, what was Deitch Project? Right. <laughs> I was like, really? Okay. So I have to start at the beginning. And that's really what I had to do, you know, coming back to Atlanta. I feel like I had to rebuild a different type of career mm-hmm. and it didn't translate like I thought it would. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, there are some people who know, but... It's uh, it doesn't just automatically. People don't know what's going on in New York or necessarily care. Um, mm-hmm. I think now more because the internet. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I first came here, you know, there was no Instagram, yeah. so now people like in the art world are aware of galleries in mm-hmm. New York in a way that they haven't been like mm-hmm. a decade ago. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, and I think what a lot that I, a lot of my frustration in a way with. Uh, Atlanta and you know on the whole I love living in Atlanta I hated the traffic right Uh, but um, I think some of my frustration was that I realized later that a lot of the people working in the art community in Atlanta had not lived and worked in other cities right so in general there wasn't that sort of outside perspective um, being able to sort of uh, um, go beyond navel gazing right to actually have an understanding of how and why <clears throat> things operate the way they did in Atlanta, why they operate in New York. You know, there was so much talk when I moved there in 2011, no, it's 2012, about um, why can't, um, you know, major patrons who buy their work in New York, why aren't they buying work from galleries in Atlanta? Right. Um, And that seemed to be a frustration that was sort of looming for my first year in Atlanta. I was hearing it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But then realizing, well, just the perspective of the person or the sort of the systems making those um, uh, comments, not having an understanding of the way that things work in New York or the reason why somebody would buy work in New York versus buy them in Atlanta for various reasons. Um, it took me a while to piece it together, but I think realizing that um, just the sort of a, a larger macro perspective wasn't there at the time. But, you know, um, in New York, like, <clears throat> there's a system of art. It's like the stock market. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's a commodity in a way that I think that people in Atlanta generally don't think of it that way, like yeah. an investment. You yeah. know, like New Yorkers really think of art as an investment. Yeah, and there's, I, a, there's a large cohort. I think that see it as an investment, and I won't comment on that. Right, <laughs> it's a speculative market. Right, but um, there's a there's a few in Atlanta that I think participate in the um, art market that way, and that's why they participate in that way with galleries in New York, not in Atlanta. Right. Um, I don't think the opportunity exists to speculate with artist work being made in Atlanta or not at the time in the same way that you could in New York because those systems and those networks are just not in place. Yeah, I've been I've thought about this a lot too because there's so many great artists in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, the art community there, I love it. I go there a lot to mm-hmm. kind of participate in studio groups and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And 
um, you wonder, and there's money in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot so of you money. wonder like <clears throat> why that's not happening. But I think that with the film industry, mm-hmm. it's happening more mm-hmm. because it's a creative in- industry. Mm-hmm. So you know, New York has so many creative industries that are feeding each other. And I think that that's happening more in Atlanta now that the film industry is bringing some serious cash. Yeah, I am sure in the past, so I've been in Savannah for, this is going my fourth year. Mm -hmm. But the film industry, I feel like, was taking root when I was, uh, when I was in Atlanta. And then, yeah, in the past four years has really changed. So that's not a part of the city that, I mean, I know it's there and I know that it's, I hear from people that um, it's changed a lot of things, but I am sure it has um, definitely probably contributed to not only the visibility of the arts community, but um, just the patronage and awareness and um, hopefully creating new inroads. Yeah, so you worked at the Contemporary. Mm-hmm. You worked at Burnaway, mm-hmm. some of my favorite Atlanta arts <laughs> institutions. Yeah. Um, you were the editor at Burnaway, is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. And I, I read that you had a print edition. That's no yeah. longer happening, oh, is it? I should have brought it with me. Oh. No, they did it for, I wish <clears throat> they would. I mean, it's not my call anymore. But, um, yeah, I was there in 2013. And, uh, you know, again, I was talking about this recently when I was giving a talk. I was sort of, you know, 2000. 12, 2013, that was a moment when conversations were happening about the shift in arts writing, arts journalism, arts criticism from on from print mm-hmm. to online, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of conversation about the loss of staff arts writers, um, what's going to happen to arts, uh, arts, critical arts writing, right? When it goes all online, how can you maintain the same level of criticality? What are these new online platforms going to look like, right? Can you have arts writing that is a blog? Can you have critical arts writing that is an Instagram page, right? There were all of these sort of speculations happening during that time, and it was a really interesting time for me to be at Burnaway, an online magazine. Right. Um, but I was thinking, too, about, okay, well, uh, it came out of conversations and the way that I felt as an editor of the magazine that I really approached and encouraged writers to think about writing for something even after it had ended. Um, so even if an exhibition was over, it still happened and there's still a way. They to... still do that. I noticed that about yeah, yeah, there's a way to write about it. And I think that's, um, right, it's just part of the problematics of exhibition making, right, mm-hmm. is that it's time-based. Right. Um, but And it has a moment when it's publicly on view, but that doesn't mean that conversation doesn't exist anymore, that that artwork doesn't exist anymore, that that artist is not continuing that conversation. So I was encouraging writers to, you know, even if they saw a show um, six months ago and they wanted to write about it, write about it, you know, like let's still talk about it. Um, So I was doing a little bit of that and then also thinking, okay, well, how as a magazine can we take that same approach and also sort of push back and go a little analog. So we were looking with that first print edition at sort of our um, entire year, the entire past year. What were some of the like themes that emerged? What were some of the through lines that emerged? Um, and how could we bring sort of our best of the best together in print mm-hmm. as a collection? And so that came out in 2013 and they they did it a second year in 2014 but not after that so Mm. it had a little moment (laughs) Mm. 
And I've noticed some, you know, like Bitter Southerner came into being when I was in Atlanta. Right. And um, I noticed they did something similar. They had an anthology of sort of their, you know, first year, first few years. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always been interested in analog, like print forms. And um, so for me, it was a way to do that, you know. I still don't know, you know, what's going to happen 100 years from now, all of this digital material. (laughs) That's so funny. I just, um, I'm teaching an online class right now. And one of the questions that I gave my students was about preservation. And they mm. were talking about how, well, we everything's going to be preserved now because it's all on the internet. And I'm like, nope. Mm. Yeah. Like, what if yeah. you think about, like, cassette tapes? <laughs> I know. I, my son got a boom. He's super into boom boxes yeah. right now. He likes what he calls old technology. Yes, yeah. And so he got this boom box, and he, like, hit the eject button. He's like, Mom, come here and look at this. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it yes. is a tape eject button. I have seen that before, you know. Awesome. But I could only find one tape yeah. in the house for him to play. And, like, if you have, I have, like, 8 millimeter mm-hmm. videos, but no way to play them, Yeah, you know. And so what happens when, uh, what happen, like... What happens when the cloud goes down? People, right. You like, Flickr, <laughs> like, suddenly became non-free, and then they just deleted a whole mm-hmm. bunch of information, right? Exactly. So, like, what happens when Facebook and Instagram become non-free? Right. And start charging people to get yeah. all of your stuff back? Like, or, you know, their server goes down, and you haven't backed up your own page, right? And, right. You know, they're holding these major companies are holding all of this data and they're holding all of this human record, right? right? Essentially. Um, Yeah. So I think about those things like, okay, something happens to the cloud or some major server and some other civilization emerges a thousand years from now, they're going to think that our world ended in 1988 (laughs) or something, you know, like I think we went through the nineties. Yeah. What are they going to find? Like what is, you know, and what is the material, the printed material from 2019 going to look like versus the wealth of printed material, you know, even from 10 years ago, like it's going to, I don't know, material, material culture and, and just, um, physical human record is very different now than, mm-hmm. um, with the internet. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's people working on it. <laughs> there are there's a lot of, a lot of nerdy librarians yeah, out there thinking are... about, you know, but ultimately it's all speculation. You know, you can put something on a gold disc or you can put something on, you know, whatever other format. We still don't know if it's going to be retrievable. Yeah, I you're gonna have to have technology to retrieve it. Right. Um, I definitely feel like print is still the way mm-hmm. to go for default. Mm-hmm. Like I want to print out books of images mm-hmm. just to have them. Yep. In case anything happens. Yeah. Um. So what were you? You were a communications person at the Contemporary. Is that at the same time you were working at Burnaway? Um. You? No, I left um, Burnaway to work full time at the Contemporary. Okay. So, good, we're going in chronological order. Yes, we are. So, um, Stuart Herodner was the artistic director at the Contemporary um, at that time, and we knew each other, and he was trying to figure out a way to get me there. And um, it was a very small staff. It's still a very small staff. You know, there's four or five people that work there, and it's just the nature of um, the size of the budget. So Stuart was trying to think of a way to um, get me on staff at the Contemporary, and they created this position which they called communications manager um because they already had an artistic director there and executive director or they sort of had at that time uh, a split executive uh, team which was Stuart and um, Stacy Lindner at the time 
Um, so my title is communications manager, but I really did a little bit of everything. I mean, I did handle all of the communications, all the writing, not only, you know, didactic materials, uh, press releases, um, internal, external communications, um, but also public programming, um, and curated public programming. And then, um, you know, I was there <laughs> at an interesting time of a lot of transition. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I came on board. I think I worked with Stuart for maybe six months and then he left. Okay. And then Stacy left. And then um, we had uh, a search for a new director. And then they hired Julie Delaquanti and she lasted um, for a year, I believe. And then wow. she left. Uh, and then Veronica Kesenich, who was the um, development director, became the executive director. So Veronica's a- been on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> She's great. Um, and so she was there when I was there. So we worked together the whole time. She and I were sort of the last two people standing after two and a half years of just internal transition. But mm-hmm. um, And so during the interim period, I was also um, the person with uh, charged with... Um, uh, bringing in, we brought in some traveling exhibitions and um, doing the curatorial work as well. So, you know, it was just one of those places where a really small staff, everybody's wearing a lot of hats, and um, yeah. They do some amazing stuff with the very small staff that mm-hmm. they have. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, some great shows. I really, speaking of the New York connection, like I feel like they do a great job of bridging the external community mm-hmm. and bringing it into Atlanta. Yeah, and I think that has been a lot of that. I mean, they were doing it before Daniel Fuller's um, tenure, and I know he just left, but um, I think a lot of that was to his credit in the past few years, sort of um, making the case successfully, um, you know, opening up a lot more of the contemporary to programmatic space, you know, it's really tripling you know, the amount of um, programmatic space in the museum rather than just considering uh, sort of the two main galleries. Right. Um, And also making the case that bringing artists from other cities to Atlanta is advantageous to the arts community in Atlanta. When I started there, there was still, and it still happens, I believe, but um, there was a lot of conversations about um, the, the contemporary ignoring the Atlanta arts community. And I think that, you know, that's something that I deal with at Telfair and Savannah any sort of local art institution is going to have those conversations with its local arts community about um, how they have a relationship with one another, how they support one another, and what's the engagement um, not only with the artist to the institution, but the institution to the artist in that um, place and time. Right. It's a tough balance because you want to do both. You're like educating the community Mm -hmm. at the same time you want to support the artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a tough line but I think the contemporary is doing a really good job with that right now Mm -hmm. they do a really good mix of yeah I think like the best of local Mm -hmm. artists and then they have that sliver space to do kind of yeah let me tell you about the sliver space (laughs) so I curated a show at Atlanta Contemporary called Prattfall Tramps Mm -hmm. Uh, it was in uh, 2015 I believe but um that space was built out from a from a wall. Mm-hmm. The space was created for Jamie Eisenstein to do a performance. Um, 
uh, for that exhibition. So um, Jamie Eisenstein um, lives in New York, and her work is sort of about comedic, performative gestures using her own body. And um, she had, it was a hole in the wall with a, a frame, sort of this elaborate frame, and she had her arm through the wall holding um, a magic candle. Mm-hmm. So you hold a piece of foil, tin foil in your hand, and you're, she's holding like a LED candle that she's constantly, and her body is behind the wall, but all you see is her arm. Um, sort of this like um, Beauty and the Beast illusion happening. So she was in the sliver space. She was in the sliver okay. space. So okay. the sliver space was created to hold her body. And it was closed up. Yes, okay. and it was closed up. And so, you know, uh, that exhibition ended, and that's really when I left to go to Savannah. And, you know, I would just assume that, you know, they would return the space to whatever it was and continue with programming. And then um, I didn't, I had heard, you know, sort of looking and keeping in touch and seeing what's going on there. They had this little gallery space called Sliver Space. And I was like, what is that? Where is that space? You know, where is this sliver? And Veronica was like, it's Jamie's, it's the space, you know, behind the wall. So I think that's fantastic. It's sort of a joke that um, that space became... Uh, a program space, but I also think that's it's ingenious, right? You know, people to think miss about, it though. Like yeah. my students go to the contemporary and they totally miss what's in the sliver space. Yeah, but I'm always they're not them looking. That, yeah, they're not looking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's you know to Daniel's credit, uh, just the way that he was looking at activating and creating opportunities, even in right. the tiniest of sliver spaces, and turning that over for artists to sort of play and experiment with and that's something that the contemporary does really well yeah i love that Mm -hmm. so that so then you're going to savannah have you ever spent time in savannah before you moved there i did a little bit as a child i had um, an aunt who lived in savannah and so grew up going to visit her a few times um on spring break with the family going to tybee island Mm -hmm. stuff like that but i don't really something you can use you can find it at choose is that still there what? No. Choose, oh, choose department store? No. Well, isn't that Toby? No. I think um, it is. No, I don't know where Choose is. Is that wrong? It might be the wrong beach. It's like beach. a big beach. It's a big um, beach department it store. Might be. It used to be. It was called Choose, and, and their their logo was if there's something you can use, you can find it <laughs> I mean, it I wouldn't put it past Tybee. It sounds very Tybee. Yeah. But, um, that was mainly what I remember about Ty- yeah. Tybee Island. It's funny. I remember just little snippets of Savannah and the... This would have been the um, early 90s, mid-90s, was not safe. It was really, um, it still has problems with crime, but very different um, 20 years ago. So we didn't go downtown a lot. Um, I just remember we would stay at her house and then we would go to the beach. Mm -hmm. But, um, But yeah, that was sort of my only relationship to Savannah. And I think... Still, now, thinking about the distance between Savannah and Atlanta, it's just a little too far for those two cities to have a relationship with one another. And I think right. living in Atlanta, was, I sort of had the feeling of, well, why can't those art art communities be connected? You know, we're all in Georgia. And again, like thinking about being at someplace like Burnaway and trying to expand the arts coverage to that 500-mile radius. Um Geographically, it is it's very different. Um, the space between the two cities is is just on the like cusp of being too far to actually right. I think have an impactful connection. So, like, like a f- I've, I feel like it's like four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. It's too far for me. I haven't yeah. been there. Um, I want to go because my son's into um, 
marine biology. Okay. And he wants to go to the UGA Marine yes. Biology Center there. Yes. So we'll probably go sometime soon. I'll have yeah. to go. And of course, um, and I've been hearing from Stephanie Rains, and mm-hmm. she's a friend. Um, yeah, and I grew up in in fifth grade. We did our 4-H. Uh, we did our um, trip to the 4-H center, and I do remember that on Tybee. You know, we would mm-hmm. sort of walked out the large cast net together, and we spent a week out there at their um, at their marine science center. So, but yeah, Georgia's a big state. Like mm-hmm. you can live here for a long time and miss half of the state. Yes, you know, you easily. don't ever go. But mm-hmm. I really would like to go um, and visit. So, you're. Are you still thinking about Atlanta and that communicate that kind of uh, line of communication at, while you're at the Telfair? Like, are you? I mean, I think personally, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my job as a curator is to be looking and thinking all of the time, and sort of um, I kind of think of it think of it as like eyes and ears open at all times, and lines of communication, and um, uh, you know with any past connection or future connection, you know, sort of keeping all senses open to um, all of that stimuli. So, you know, I'm always thinking about um, when am I going to go back to Atlanta? When am I going to do studio visits in Atlanta? Just making sure I'm sort of a little bit aware, you know, of what's going on. But um, the majority of my work at the museum is not, you know, sort of the, the, material work that I'm doing is not uh, a result of anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Telfair is three museums. Mm-hmm. Um, are you only at the Jepson Center? Is that? Yeah, mostly. So Telfair is a branding conundrum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, Telfair Museums are three buildings. Okay. The Academy Building. And the Jepson Center are on Telfair Square. And then a few squares down is the Owens Thomas House and Slave Quarters. And as a whole, uh, well, the first building was the Academy. Uh, 1883, it became a museum. But it's one of the, it is the oldest public museum in the South and one of the 10 founding museums of the U.S. Hmm. Um, The Owens Thomas House came about in 1953 as a bequest um, because it's the same architect as the Academy, William Jay. It was this English architect that had um, part of his career in Savannah. The Jepson Center was built in 2006, and it was a way, I think it came out of conversations about, um, well, pragmatic conversations about the museum needed a state-of-the-art facility to host traveling exhibitions, to have major international loans, climate control, um, more space to do bigger shows you know they the academy is an is an old historic building with very small galleries and so i think the leadership at the time was looking to build a new building to do those things at the same time think about how to bring the museum into the future um and show modern contemporary art and so uh i think their one of the goals in opening the jepson center was to have a modern contemporary curator and they didn't have one until i came on board so you're the first one yes 10 years later um, so yeah, I do, my office is in the Jepson Center and um, all of my projects are in the Jepson Center, but as a curatorial staff, there's um, six or seven of us and, um, you know, we think about the balance between all of those spaces. Um, yeah, and how to sort of look at our program as a whole. Um, but yeah, the Jepson Center shows m- modern contemporary art. So you're here in Athens doing studio visits. How mm-hmm. often do you do studio visits and like how far is your range of visiting <laughs> that you do? 
Um, I think it comes and goes in waves depending on uh, where I am with um, projects at the museum. But I have been doing... Um, I mean, I would say in Savannah, I try to get out um, once a month okay. to studios. Wow. And, uh, you know, try to take a day from work every month to, to go out and do studio visits. And then I just try to t- find time in my schedule to block out a few days. Um, that might be every few months where I can drive somewhere. Um, and then, you know, I go to New York maybe two or three times a year. Okay. Um, and then usually if I'm going to another city, it's more project-based. Um, and while I'm there, I'll try to do studio visits and sort of pack my schedule as much as I can. Right. Yeah. That's how I do for the podcast. Yeah. I try to do multiple businesses exactly. at once. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to do a twofer. Yeah. So, yeah, I have not been back to Athens in probably eight years and was feeling very badly about that, you know, (laughs) like, um, and so I had been wanting to come back to Athens for probably a year and just didn't have any time in my schedule that I could think to block out. You know, if you want to go somewhere, you want to go somewhere and be able to block out a few days. So I'm doing sort of a a two for while I'm here as well. I'm seeing the show cut and paste, Uh which is at the Linden house and that's coming to the Jepson center in 2020. Nice. So I wanted to be sure to see that. And while I'm here, do a bunch of studio visits right yeah great um so your current show do you want to talk a little bit about curating that show yeah suzanne jackson yeah suzanne jackson five decades um is a retrospective of her work and we worked on that the organization of that project for over two years and suzanne is an artist that is 75 years old She's been living in Savannah since um, 1996, full-time. Her career is really interesting, though, in that she um, is an African-American woman who uh, migrated with her family to California from St. Louis when she was born, and then they moved to Fairbanks, Alaska when she was nine years old. Wow. And she spent the majority of her, those formative years from, you know, young girl to young woman in Fairbanks, Alaska, which was a territory. It was pre-statehood when she was living there. Wow. Um, and then, you know, she says she came back to the States or she moved to the, the States for college. And um, so a big part of her professional career and her sort of coming into being as an artist and being represented by galleries and showing nationally was in um, San Francisco and Los Angeles in the 70s and 80s. And uh, so her, her, her sort of trajectory as an artist is really interesting. And I met her in Savannah. You know, when I moved there, I was asking around who I should meet. You know, what artists are here? Just sort of doing that work of who's here, what kind of work are they making, and trying to piece together the, the arts community. And people were saying, you've got to meet Suzanne, you've got to meet Suzanne. And I could not get in touch with her. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to get in touch with this woman. And, um, I was giving a lecture of the opening of the Nick Cave exhibition we had at the Jepson Center. And in that lecture, I was talking about sort of the, um, uh, the sort of the impetus for his sound suits, which was a response to the Rodney King beatings in Los Angeles. And he was in Chicago and, um, she came up to me after the lecture and introduced herself. She said, oh, hello, I'm Suzanne Jackson. 
And she was wearing these bracelets that she said, your lecture reminded me, I wear these bracelets every day, and she does. I got them in Watts um, just before the riots broke out in 1992. And so that was our first conversation with one another, and I said, I've been trying to get in touch with you. (laughs) Um, So we sort of both talk about that, like, serendipitous first meeting, but... From that, I went to her studio and her house and studio and was just blown away that um, the amount of work, the like experimental style of her work that she was making, it, I, I entered a, another world in her house and it was very clear she had been like head down making work for 10 years mm-hmm. with um, no visibility. Right. You know, she moved to Savannah to teach at SCAD. Um, she had a career change in her 40s and went to grad school at Yale for theater design. Hmm. Total career change uh, on a fellowship and um, worked in the theater scene for in the 90s a little bit and sort of had this return to painting when she was offered a painting professorship at SCAD. And she taught there for 13 years before she retired. And it was clear after she retired was sort of her moment to return full-time to painting. And she had been doing that in a small, sleepy city, you know, was had space, has this huge house in Savannah. And making this really experimental work, they were, they're double-sided um, acrylic on acrylic. Acrylic is the medium and the substrate of the paintings. Mm-hmm double-sided hanging they were all in her studio and it looked like some weird butcher shop oh no (laughs) of skin like of painting skin right you know and i was like i have never seen anything like this before give you a panic attack (laughs) i loved it no i loved it it was just like this weird world of texture and she's a tiny woman and she was in there and in the midst of all of it and in her 70s and just like so Mm. energetic and um, then she, she hasn't really shown this work. No, huh? she yeah. has not shown this work. And then, and then added onto that, sort of piecing together this um, very interesting history. And she's known for the work she was making in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, pretty well. And she's in so, shows like Soul of a Nation and um, to Charles White traveling retrospective. She was a student of his, so she's in that show. Um, but this is a moment that people didn't know what. She, you know, what she's making now. And mm-hmm. so we concentrated a lot of the space in the retrospective to her new work because it surprises a lot of people. Um, so we start our tours with taking people through the new work mm-hmm. and then we work our way backwards to sort of talk about how it evolved to the new work. So we've prioritized this idea that she has always been a painter and she's still a painter. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Rachel. Um, You're welcome. Thanks for having it's me. It's good to have you here in my house. I've never done a podcast episode in the house before. <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks. That was Rachel Reese, Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at Telfair Museums in Savannah. Thanks, Rachel, for stopping by. The catalog of Suzanne Jackson's exhibition, Suzanne Jackson, Five Decades, that we discussed in this episode will be available at the end of September, so keep an eye out for that. You can find links to this exhibition, as well as links to other organizations, projects, and people that were mentioned in this episode, which is episode 26, as well as some pictures on the Peachy Keen page of my website at vivianliddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L.com. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to help support the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page. You can find the link to the Patreon page on the Peachy Keen page as well. Now that summer break is over, the next two episodes are already in the works, so look for episode 27 with Brittany Laubach, an Athens, Georgia-based photographer whose show at Lamar Dodd I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, to be out in the next couple of weeks. Until then, good luck getting back into the academic year if that's a calendar you're involved with. I hope you're all moved in if you're driving one of those big U-Hauls and that your days are peachy keen.